our Thursday Bible study group is making its way through the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the four in the Bible, only 16 chapters. Yet we've managed to spend seven months studying it, and we're only on chapter 11. It's a running joke in the group that we are living through the ministry of Jesus in real time. (laughs) And may finally get to the Holy Week narratives in Mark during our actual Holy Week. Even so, we are having a great time together. We covered today's gospel passage from chapter 1 way back in June. It tells the story of Jesus' first miracle in Capernaum. When Jesus enters the synagogue in this morning's reading and speaks to those assembled, all jaws drop. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, while we don't know exactly what Jesus said, it's clear from his listeners' reaction that he has blown their minds. Try to picture what that might have been like as if you were there yourself. It's a Saturday morning, and like usual, you've come to synagogue. More out of duty than anything else, because the scribes will once again bore you, droning on and on with some esoteric interpretation of the law, which they probably cribbed from the internet anyway. But then, in walks this hippie you've never seen before. And from the minute he opens his mouth, you know in your gut that you are in the presence of a prophet. Because Jesus slices right through your boredom and your eye-rolling ennui and cuts your heart open, exposing deep truths even you didn't realize about yourself. He preaches like God sent him directly to you. What's more, his authority comes not from the source you have been taught to expect, from the scribes and the scholars in your temple. No, he's a stranger, wearing dirty sandals, in the company of musty fishermen and plain-faced village women. So the synagogue is electrified. All of which makes you jump that much higher when the man with a demon starts screaming. You know him. Or you knew him when he was the quiet, kind neighbor next door who brought your family figs from his tree in season. But an unclean spirit possessed him one sunny day. An anguish gripped his body and has been flinging him around ever since. No longer kind and quiet, he says ugly things. And now here he is, scary and screaming at the prophet in the temple. You shudder when he sneers out Jesus' name. How did he know it? But that's how demons fight. Demons rob their opponent of power by speaking aloud their name. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus cuts him off, won't play this game. Be silent and come out of him. 
Your eyes widen as you watch your neighbor convulse unnaturally, pitching himself against the temple's back wall, finally howling, back arched, and falling unconscious to the floor. All eyes are on him, but he doesn't move. All heads then turn back to Jesus at the front, mouths open. What is this? A new teaching with authority, and even the unclean spirits obey him. His words, his actions, and the way he knew you in an instant, these things frighten and amaze you. They readily believed back then in demonic possession, in monsters and angels, in battles for the soul or the body of an unlucky host. Some of us still do. But now, we've mostly corralled those primeval forces of evil, domesticating them as psychological metaphor or addictive behavior, demons as depression, alcoholism, low self-esteem, which does not lessen the anguish those demons cause. But I'm still irrational enough to believe that this maliciousness isn't all in our heads. I think something external can and does grip us in its talons and fling us against the ones we love or through a sort of glass window that shatters our best intentions or into muddy ground where it grinds our faces and whispers in our ear, you're no good. Your looks are gone. Nobody likes you. In that sense, to a certain extent, I think most of us are possessed in one way or another. And possession has a spectrum, from the poor man off his meds and yelling on the street, to the sweet, quiet woman sitting at home, desperately lonely. Our demons express themselves differently. How does your demon express itself? Does it howl at you from a painful past? Might it make you shy around others, frozen? Does it laugh at you from a corner of the room and call you a failure? To me, it's a demon if it disrupts, if it disrupts your being fully present for others. It's a demon when it keeps you from fully loving yourself or from being fully responsive to God's welcoming embrace. My demon has always shown up as low self-esteem, swatting me down like a fly whenever I tried to soar. Powerful, insistent. I've learned to fight back, helped immensely by friends and community, while entrusting myself to God's care. Sometimes it's helped to pray the Psalms, like Psalm 56. Have mercy on me, O God, for my enemies are hounding me. All day long they assault and oppress me. They hound me all the day long. Truly, there are many who fight against me, O Most High. It really does feel like battle. And many of us have yet to win our war. Self-sabotage makes me late with things. Self-doubt suggests I'm failing. The demon still hides under my table, 
grasps my ankles and yanks. Now you may be hearing these words and thinking, I have no demons. They're cunning that way. Even the saints had demons, from Antony of Egypt to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Ask God to help you with yours. Learn to rely on friends, family, and community, and fight back. I came across a modern version of a struggle with demons in a video I saw a while back by a rap artist from Compton named Kendrick Lamar. Pat Welch and Diane Reading are big fans. You can ask them about him. The song is called, I Love Myself. It's partly about Kendrick Lamar's struggles with suicide, to love himself despite the demons that plague him. And there's a scene near the end of the video where he sings while hanging sideways out of the backseat window of a car, careening wildly down an empty boulevard at night. He flails his arms, grabs at his face with his hands, spits out into the street, and eventually half passes out, his eyes rolling into his head. It looks a lot like someone convulsing from a demon. This is what he sings from the window of that car, words that take him from suicide to self-preservation. I went to war last night with an automatic weapon. Don't nobody call a medic. I'm going to do it till I get it right. I went to war last night. I've been dealing with depression ever since an adolescent, ducking every other blessing. I could never see the message. I could never take the lead. I could never bob and weave from a negative and letting it annihilate me. And it's evident I'm moving at a meteor speed. Finna run into a building, lay my body in the street, keep my money in the ceiling, let my mama know I'm free, give my story to the children and a lesson they can read, and the glory to the feeling of the holy unseen. Seen enough, make a mother hummer scream, I love myself. I lost my head. I must have misread what the good book said. Oh, woes be me, it's a jungle inside. Give myself again till the well runs dry. What blew the minds of those gathered in the synagogue that day was that Jesus saw past each and every one of their demons and into their precious core. And they felt it keenly, his loving, charismatic gaze. His voice carried such forgiveness and authority that the unclean spirits of those in the temple simply fled, all but the one possessed whose demon had to be commanded. Maybe that's where we are. When faced with absolute forgiveness and love from Jesus, we become gratingly aware of our inner demons, those voices, those impulses that distract us from full relationship with God and with others. Our demons that convulse us, tell us Jesus is just a myth for simpler folk. What has he to do with us, they ask. Answer, everything. 
Jesus would have you be your fullest, best self. Shedding those demons is all about responding to divine love, to letting it heal your life. Today is Septuagesima, the church's first reminder that Lent is coming and that Easter is in roughly 70 days. Probably beginning in the Middle Ages, these three Sundays before Lent, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima were marked by a gradual leaving off of meat, cheese, and dairy. Septuagesima today was considered the farewell to meat, or carnevale. Though these Sundays aren't really featured much in the church anymore, their invitation to a spiritual turn towards Lent is helpful. The penetrating gaze of Christ beckons us from across those 70 days, awaiting us at the open tomb of new life. To make it there, we're going to have to don our armor for the war between those two mighty forces, our demons and our hope in Christ. May these three Sundays before Lent give us the lead time we will need to suit up and prepare for battle. Amen.